So Godfrey, I think the the really the definition of a good running joke is if you carry it out over months and months, and I don't think we really did that here. And that, like we we said, sorry, we ran out of time for you, Bud Elliott, like three times, and now and now we have Bud Elliott on. So I don't I think, think it's a failed anymore. joke. Also, it's uh, it's it's really not funny because Bud should have just declined our invitation because we're gonna be without Bud right now. We would probably wouldn't have any content because it's, <laughs> it's, it's the last week of January. So, welcome to the show, Bud Elliott, SB Nation recruiting every guy. Every, uh, let me hang on, let me make his title up. Uh, SB Nation recruiting omniscient guru. How's that? Does that work on Ooh. a business card? I it might. I. Uh, it, a couple months ago, SB Nation changed our signatures to, to automatic signatures, uh, which removed. I, I had like Supreme Lord Commander of College Football Recruiting for a little while, and uh, that works. And I now like they it. got deleted. Yeah, very totalitarian. I'm into that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bill, so this is going to be the recruiting show, if you didn't guess. But it's uh, we're, we're going to try and branch off of much like Bud's coverage. This is not going to be the uh, X school with Y number of recruitments type of uh, discussion. We'll get into some of that. We did solicit your questions. But what we want to do here is take recruiting and then branch it out towards the other parts of college football. Um, so let me start with this, bud. Uh, I've actually got a question, and it's something we've discussed at work. I feel like this is just a kind of an osmosis thing. Uh, people I talk to, fans, and just the whole – if you took the entire mood of college football, it feels like recruiting has come all the way back around from when it was introduced as a ranking system – it was very imprecise. It was very provincial and biased in certain parts. It got really popular there for a minute. Um, and then there was this really bad backlash against, well, you know, these stars don't mean anything. Recruiting doesn't mean anything. It's too subjective to now, as the system has kind of worked itself out, as competition in the recruiting industry has evened out the rankings, I, I feel like, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, it seems like people are starting to accept recruiting again as a, a pretty strong baseline metric for being able to forecast success. I think that's true uh, amongst the people we follow. Uh, if, if you actually look at Facebook, I might disagree, but then again, that <laughs> Facebook comment sections are kind of a world to their own. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the biggest thing has been the, the trend of, of elite recruiters winning pretty much every national championship in the last decade and the advent of digital film. You can actually now see why a kid is getting four stars or five stars. The five stars really kind of pop. They're, they're not that hard to identify. And I think just the accessibility of digital film, have, have it being free, you know, with, with Huddle, with YouTube, no longer stuck on a subscription service like Arrivals. That's really opened it up to the casual fan and they're able to watch it more. I, I mean, I think that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty much true. We, uh, there's the, like the high-level anecdotal stuff, and then there's like the, the, the odd stuff, the statistical stuff. And I think there's an answer now that kind of satisfies everybody. I mean, I, I don't think it all falls apart if like an Oregon or a TCU wins the national title one day. I don't think it just dies. Um, the, the argument or now people say that it, it doesn't matter at all. But I do think it's become pretty accepted in terms of, the, the, of it being a, a – I don't even know the right way to say it, but basically it's all, it's all about odds. And I think people are starting to understand that the more four and five star kids you sign, the better your odds of success are. It, it, you still have to develop those guys. You still have to deploy them properly and, and, you know, have a system that allows them to thrive as their rating says they should. But the first step uh, is signing as many really talented guys as possible. And that gives you more margin for error. And I think that's, Obviously, uh, you know, Iowa fans probably weren't very big, uh, 
you know, into recruiting rankings two months ago. Maybe maybe they are a little more now. Uh, but I mean, it's always that way with Iowa, Northwestern, Missouri, Virginia Tech, Boise State, TCU. Fans of every uh, team that has had success recently with three star guys. Um, you know, they will tell you know they can kind of go overboard with the, the rhetoric a little bit, but I think you see pretty clearly that margin for error is a big thing. What is the one program? I know you, Bill just rattled off some, bud, but what what is the one program for me, having gone to Ole Miss and having come up as a reporter on the west side of the Southeastern Conference? It was very, it's very much Mississippi State because they had success in spite of low recruiting rankings. That's the that's the program I think of. Because Dan Mullen has never really won the five-star battle, but he has won consistently. Um, is there one program that just jumps out to you that's the quintessential like anti-recruiting ranking fan base? I, I think for me, it's Michigan State. Uh, okay, just because they ha- they have a, a huge recruiter in state. Not that Ole Miss is not, but Michigan is pretty consistently pulls in top ten classes, and over the last decade has, has largely squandered them. Uh, Michigan State is consistently throwing out uh, these stars don't matter. You know, we, we, we do heart and hustle and, and, and development and talent identification, and we're much better than recruiting rankings. And there may be something to that. I think recruiting rankings are getting better and better all the time. But you know, I look at a place like, like Michigan where the players that Michigan State has signed have been better than the players that Michigan has signed for the most part. Now, part of that is development, and I'm not sure that they're actually better as recruits. But you know, does a Michigan offer carry too much, or has it in the past carried too much weight as far as bumping a kid's ranking up, I certainly think it's important to consider, hey, what schools are offering this kid? Because these coaches are oftentimes, I don't want to say they're all experts, but a lot of them really know what they're looking for and what they're talking about. So I think you'd be a fool not to consider who's offering a kid, but at the same time, you know, maybe too much weight is put into that in certain states like Texas, uh, where, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that's kind of the big one that I want to explore if I get some time this offseason. You know, how... how how much of Texas's failure on the field has been lack of development and how much has it been just they really weren't recruiting some of the best guys in, in Texas, but the ratings said they were because the subscription sites that cover Texas are so huge that it helps to kind of perpetuate this idea that if Texas offers a kid, he's the best kid in the state. Let's have that reflect in our national rankings. I think you'd be a fool to think that doesn't go on some, but I don't know that it goes on as much as maybe Michigan State fans or, or TCU fans think. I do think there's certain, um, you know, schools like Texas, and I want to write about this with Auburn, especially um, at some point. Just, I, I think when you get caught up in the big time recruiting game, it's it seems like you know you're you're maybe more likely to end up offering a kid who really doesn't fit your system, but is a big time recruit. Um, I, I, you know, just looking at some of the kids Auburn was trying to field this year for their, for you know, we saw that their offense can work with Nick Marshall. Um, who, you know, had a decent arm by all means, but was a mobile guy and that was his biggest uh, trait. You know, then you they, they trotted out Sean White this year to run that offense. And Jeremy Johnson, they had him throwing quite a bit early in the season. And it just, it was very confusing. Maybe that's them trying to get ahead of the game when everybody's adapting to what they were already doing. But it just kind of felt like suddenly they, they, they looked at their roster and said, okay, we have to do things differently because we don't have the guys to run the offense I want to run anymore. It was very weird. I'd love to hear more about how Auburn's offense came to be this year as compared to what it was in previous years. But I think that's part of the thing with Texas is when you're Texas, you have to offer certain kids. Um, and that, you know, that can backfire on you big time as it has. So I, I, I was really shocked when, when Sean White 
picked Auburn. I, I, he's a really bright guy. I know he had a bunch of Ivy League offers. He had, he had some pretty solid offers that ran a more pro-style offense. And, and he's not a statue, but he's also not uh, against SEC defenses, truly a threat with his legs. And I, I sat next to him on the flight out from Florida to the opening three years ago. And at no time did I think, yeah, Sean White's definitely going to pick Auburn. And there is this, <laughs> this tendency for some kids to pick the school that is the most prestigious offer for them. And by prestigious, I mean – not that Auburn's a prestigious school, but they're a prestigious football program, certainly. Right. Uh, and that could be a mistake. It, it, it's not always the best idea to go to, uh, you know, for instance, I, we like working for SB Nation. Is the New York Times more prestigious? Sure, but I, I, I like my setup here a lot. It, <laughs> you got, you got to pick what fits for what fits you. I mean, I'll listen to an offer. Just depends on. No, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> that was a joke. I swear to God. Um, Godfrey to New York Times. Uh, so, Bud, um, I have all the recruiting rankings pulled up here. Um, I'm not, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's surprising. I'm not surprised by what I see. Um, just, just arbitrarily, I'll pick the two, four, seven rankings. And in the top 10, you have three of the four playoff teams. You have, uh, let's see, you know, New Year's Six Bowl participants in Florida State and Ole Miss and Ohio State. Uh, you know, Michigan, obviously that story is pretty well known. Um, Notre Dame, another New Year's Day bowl participant, um, LSU at number one right now. And then I think, you know, I guess if you're looking for an outlier, it's not much of one. I get, you've got Florida in there. Um, pretty, pretty standard stuff. I mean, is this a year where in terms of not necessarily where individual players are going, but programs, how they're building is, is everything kind of going as expected? Pretty much. And I'm writing on this for signing day, but, uh, college football is kind of depressingly static. And thank God we have marching bands and, and traditions and, and, and excellent tailgating. Because if we didn't, how many of these, these fan bases would just not sustain themselves? You can yeah. kind of look at this and say, this is pretty much who's going to win the, the national title. Conference titles are a little bit more up for debate depending on, on the kind of talent that's, that's in your league. But take a look at – scroll down a little bit. Look, look at numbers 12, 13, 18, 22. This is stuff we weren't seeing, and that's Michigan State at 12, Baylor at 13, uh, you know, Stanford at 16, TCU at 18, Arizona State with another top 25 class. These are programs who have been winning on the field, and are it, it just takes so long, it seems like, for the on-field product to to resonate with recruits. Baylor's had to have been good now for uh, Bill can help me out with this, but they they've been pretty solid for what six seven years now, I think. Probably since uh, 2011, I think, was the year they really broke through. Yeah. So five, five years at a really high level and a couple more before that at at least a bowl level. So when these kids were seventh graders is, right. is when Baylor started to get really good. Um, you know, Michigan State had a sustained being elite program for so long just to have elite kids get a look at them. I mean, Michigan State is a really nice class. Everybody wants to focus on what Harbaugh's doing. Spartans are doing really nice, which is kind of a weird dichotomy that, the, that these Michigan State fans have to balance now between celebrating their – better recruits by the recruiting rankings while still at the same time maintaining that they don't mean a thing. Uh, <laughs> Baylor, yeah, Baylor at 13, uh, you know, TCU started to get another, another look and, and they're doing really well uh, with, with the juniors and sophomores as, as well. It's uh, yeah. Well, I think let me stop you right there, bud, just because uh, the piece I wrote before the beginning of this season, I tracked their signing classes through the major services all the way back to when these basically when they were available online. Oh, two steady ascension. I mean, kind of workmanlike. There was never really a, a huge jump year. Um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but to see them in the in the high teens right now, uh, is that just 
is that just a brand recognition? Because Bryles loves to talk about how, hey, we're a young brand, and after a certain point, you know, five, six years, well, that, that that's all the formidable view of a, of a 17-year-old's life. You know, he doesn't know anything about what Notre Dame did under Lou Holtz because he wasn't alive, but he knows that Baylor's been throwing the ball down the field for the past six, seven years. So that's basically all his life. There's certainly something to that. Uh, but you know, who, you know who does know Baylor used to suck? His parents, his high school coaches, <laughs> his, his, his advisors, be, you know, be they people who are actually have the prospect's uh, best interest at heart or, or someone who, who maybe doesn't. But uh, Baylor being a young brand, I, I think certainly has something to it. They're an exciting brand. There's also a certain amount of recruiting that you really can't control. Like Baylor has some control over how Texas does, but Texas being bad yeah. has undoubtedly helped TCU and Baylor quite a bit, as well as Oklahoma. Uh, they have a really good Fresno connection with, uh, with one of their coaches. They focused on California a lot more in recent years and have done well. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is like there's a certain factor of like the, the big heavyweights when they slump, it opens the door. And in, in theory, you know, it's going to be kind of interesting. Like it, let's say Texas does what we all assume Texas does. And a year from now, Charlie Strong's not the coach and Tom Herman is, um, you know, the heavyweights have more weight to throw around. And Bill, do, where are and, you hearing that? <laughs> uh, you know, sources. Um, but when, when they – when the heavyweight then throws its weight around again and makes a good hire, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I guess Michigan state uh, is proof right now that they don't, you know, you know, Michigan made a great hire by all accounts, except for a couple uh, recruits that don't really like him very much right now. But um, that, but they just went to the playoff and they now are signing a top 20 class. So if you're a Michigan state, you're thinking, well, great, they can do whatever they want. We have produced top 10 results with top 30 or 40 classes. Now we're getting the top 20 class. So we'll be just fine. Maybe Baylor can do the same thing, but that's, that, that is the thing is that this universe seems to write itself after a while. And it, it always kind of reverts back to these eight, 10, 12 schools that all they have to do is make a great hire. And they're set. All right, bud, I got a question. We like to kill the narrative on the show, which is basically what I do is I take terrible, lazy journalism crap from my peers and I run it through the computer of Bill, and then we kind of break down what, what's <laughs> real and what's actually legitimate about, you know, a commonly held whatever. It could be a, it could be complete misinformation, a popular opinion, whatever. Uh, I could, without knowing anything about the commitments or any specifics, look at the top 25 right now and go, okay, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, oh, Miami's jumped a little. Okay, Mark Rick got it right. Stanford. Stanford is supposed to be the school that is impossible to get into, that you can't recruit elite athletes to because the admission standards are high, and they run a particular system and have a particular philosophy, and they have to go out and recruit very early. That was the big mantra when I did the story. Everyone in college football did the story a couple years ago about Stanford, about Northwestern, about Vanderbilt when Franklin was there, about how these guys have to recruit differently, but it is possible. It's just really hard. And now I look up and I see Stanford with a class that's, you know, it's as good as, you know, Texas A&M or Auburn or, you know, USC. USC. So what what gives? Stanford does really good as far as knowing uh, knowing what they are, right? You can probably guess the positions without looking at their actual breakdown of their class that Stanford attracts. Quarterback, they've got a top five quarterback nationally in KJ Costello. Caden Smith is a tight end who I've seen since an eighth grader because Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher brought him into their high school camps, I think when he was in the seventh or eighth grade, and he's one of the best tight ends in the country. Stanford attracts tight ends. They also attract offensive linemen. 
Stanford has two guys in in, in the top you know, 300 offensive tackle-wise. I think what they're doing better this year uh, is actually getting to some of the, the better skill position players, especially on defense with, with the cornerbacks. And they actually have a commitment from a, a fairly highly rated defensive tackle this year who may actually be flipping to Texas, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes down the stretch. But they, they make their living on the positions that they're well-known for developing, and they try to do well enough at the positions that, that are maybe not quite as sexy to play at Stanford, like, say, receiver. Huh, that's fascinating. Um, top recruiters. This is something I wanted to run through before we get to the reader questions. But uh, I, I, I don't know how these lists are compiled, and I don't know how strongly you agree with them, but you you see these ranked recruiters. Um, I guess they go by, what, just the, the amount of guys that they've directly locked in, and then they do like a star average, I assume? I think so, yeah. I, I'm okay. not totally familiar with their formula. Okay, so I see these lists all the time, and you know, you take them at face value. And some of these guys, Bud, you and I just know from talking to people, certainly legit, right? When Frank Wilson, he's now the head coach at UTSA, but was legendary and still is in New Orleans for his, you know, being a recruiter for LSU, and then also Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Uh, Kerry Coombs at at, uh, at Ohio State, same deal. Just, I mean, absolutely, especially like in Southern Ohio and Cincinnati. Um, are there guys, you know, T. Martin at USC, Tim Brewster at Florida State? Are there is there a recruiter you hear about that you don't feel like gets the attention he deserves or is doing something in a unique or different way that we may, you know, we may start to to read about in the coming years? Uh, yeah, actually, I think Chris Partridge is a guy from Michigan uh, who you know was in South Florida for a while. I think he does a, a really good job up there. He's your linebackers coach. I, I could see him uh, getting a promotion, maybe to a defensive coordinator, in part. Due to his recruiting prowess, um, trying to think who else is on this list. It's like not a top ten guy. The one I've heard a lot about is Curtis Looper at TCU. Yeah, he does and a really nice actually, job. Uh, yeah, and then in the same breath, because uh, you can't mention one school without the other, Kendall Bryles, Art Bryles' son at Baylor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they they do a really good job there in, in Texas, and I think that's something that Charlie Strong and his staff are encountering, and, and it's probably a little tougher than they expect. Man, that TCU and Baylor. Have some legitimate recruiters. Uh, Chip Long at Arizona State has also done a really nice job there landing recruits, at least according uh, to this list. I'm trying to think who he actually landed here. Clicking on this. This is great radio, by the way. Uh, oh, just wait. I'm about to break out the Excel sheets. So. Oh, no, yeah. No, I we, will we, say yeah, something we, we about this. Dead silent. We could fill dead space with the best of them. Um, part, part of this, this whole, like, you're a great recruiter thing is legitimate, right? You, you are really good at connecting with, with, with young kids and older folks who advise these kids. Uh, you know, you, you quickly identify who is the primary decision maker of the household, be it the mom or, or the, the decision maker in the kids recruitment. Maybe it's his high school coach. Maybe it's his quarterback coach or his speed coach, or maybe it's his best friend. Who knows? But, but, but you're in that person's ear as well. Part of this, though, also is your school has assigned you to an area that your school traditionally does very well in and has a lot of talent. Like if you're the, the Florida or the Florida State recruiter for South Florida, it's going to be hard not to be in the top 10 of this list. And indeed, uh, we see Tim Brewster right there at number three. He recruits Miami for FSU. That makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's obviously a lot easier to be the the considered a, a great recruiter when you're, when you're repping FSU or UF and you're down in the Miami high schools than, say, Minnesota. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's one thing. Um, like when Barry Odom was hired at Missouri, um, they talked to some, you know, Texas high school coaches, guys who have been interacting with, with him for years, and like every single one of them gave a, a very similar quote to, "Man, he is the best recruiter I've ever seen." Uh, but Barry Odom has probably been tied to like one top twenty recruiting class ever. Um, 
So it's kind of an interesting, the, the whole, the school sells itself thing is kind of interesting in, in regard to both, you know, who we're judging as good recruiters and, you know, what kind of recruiter you need at a school, whether it's, uh, you know, a certain type of guy who can sell a really sellable product or somebody who's really good at, at selling you, uh, you know, a busted up washing machine. Oh, for sure. And it, there, there's also, there's recruiters and then there's evaluators, uh, guys who, who can visit, right. visit a school in the spring, pick out that talent and, and say, Hey, uh, I'm going to put my reputation on the line here. I I've, I've got enough confidence to offer this kid, even though all he has is a temple offer, you know, and that, right. that's going to send kind of shockwaves throughout, uh, that recruiting region. Whoa. Old Miss just swooped in and offered this kid. Wow, Georgia just just popped this kid who only had a, a Georgia Southern offer. Stuff like that, which does happen, but you got to clear that with your head coach. And if you do that, you better be right. And it's, it's yeah. it, it becomes apparent very quickly which of these guys are good at this and which of these guys are not. Yeah, when um, when like an Alabama or or somebody really good uh, randomly gets a commitment from like a low three star kid, I immediately think that guy is going to be amazing. Like Devonte Freeman, who was offered uh, because Miami Central starter had to, had to go to night school and they were having night practice, uh, and Florida State <laughs> was there and offered him. And at the time, he had like no serious offers. Yeah, yeah. I assume they they if they're going if they're straying from the blue chip level there's a very specific reason for it and clearly they're not always right about that but yeah that's that's just my assumption when i see that they get some random two or three star kid and if you're really bad at that they will use your name followed by the word special which means that they then have to drop the kid you took a commitment from uh, later on in the process (laughs) but if i'm a if i'm a two-star three-star kid listening to this what's the one school that pushes your star ranking the highest if they show interest in you is it bama yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's Alabama just because of, of the success they've had on the field and getting kids to the NFL. And people really uh, respect Saban's evaluation of those <coughs> players. Yeah, and, and it's funny. Like, I wrote last um, spring, I had my big, you know, manifesto, stat manifesto piece. I had a little bit about a recruiting in there. You know, if I were building a recruiting rankings system from scratch, the first thing I would look at is who has succeeded on the field, Um for the you know for a sustained amount of time, if they're offering a kid, I you know I'm taking that into account without a doubt, and um, and so it becomes this circular relationship with the whole Bama bump thing that we always hear about. Well, they just they're he's only a four star kid because Alabama offered him. Well, yeah, you know that's that's a, about as, as strong a data point as you're going to have. So it's it's a really it's an awkward relationship there between the rankings because you don't want to just say here are the offer lists, so this must be a four star kid. But that's a pretty good piece of data to use. Oh, for sure. Uh, do you do you not want to want to take into account the data point of, of Alabama offering a kid? That would be pretty negligent. Yeah, we have reader questions. I'm still coming back to my Excel sheets. I'm excited. <laughs> we can do we can do reader questions. I, I'm very excited. Uh, all right, Bill. Do you want to? We'll do this now, and then we'll jump into the into the uh, the fan. We're gonna tease Excel sheets because that's something that you. That's right. You, you got to hold on till the end to find out about. Excel. Don't turn it off just yet. Um, Andy Davenport at Andy underscore Davenport asks. Uh, I'm sorry, at Andy underscore Davenport underscore. We're the only podcast who will spell out your Twitter handle for you. Uh, can road game scheduling really help recruiting, e.g. play a Florida school for Florida exposure? Um, before I throw this to Bud, I would tentatively say yes, just because I've seen more and more SEC schools um, at least sort of show their presence in recruiting in East Texas, having added A&M. Bud, is, is this legitimate or not? 
I think it is if if the parents believe that your school is going to continually play games there. Not just, hey, we, we played a one-off in, in Texas one time, but if you can say, hey, we, we're making a decided effort to play in Texas every year, uh, or, or at least every other year, and we're going to try and play a neutral site game there as well. For instance, Alabama could say, we played in Texas, what, a couple times in the last few years, plus the games at A&M. There's going to be right. some ga- – and, and the, the sell here is this. There's going to be some games you don't have to fly to. You can drive to see your son play. Yeah, that's all. That's always what. Um, and again, here's another Missouri reference because that's what I have the most of. But that's you know when they moved from the Big Twelve to the SEC, they made a concerted effort to move some of their guys out of Texas and into the SEC East area, since they would be in Gainesville every other year, Athens every other year, Columbia, South Carolina every other year. And that made sense. And what's kind of interesting now is that Odom basically said, "No, we're going back to Texas," and they're just they're all going all in on Texas right now. And I'm really curious. Um, I'm curious about that. I, I guess no matter what your philosophy is, as long as you're good at it, it'll work. But, um, but yeah, you hear that a lot from from coaches, at least, is that if you can say you'll get at least two games at A and M, you know, right down the road or whatever, uh, that's a big deal. Oh, there's no how doubt about it. it. How much does that hurt uh, a program like West Virginia? Because you want, you know, part of the sell for West Virginia. Well, the sell for West Virginia was to get into a Power Five, a stable right. Power Five conference, but. They, I think ostensibly that, well, we can go in and maybe not compete, but we can have a presence in the high schools in Dallas and Houston. Um, uh, it's pretty tough, though, if you've got a kid, you know, and you're a parent. You're, Morgantown's really far away. <laughs> it's, it's a big deal there. Um, you know, they, they – nobody can – like basically none of the prospects West Virginia recruits can, can really drive to West Virginia games w- without taking off, you know, uh, Friday of work and – they're heavy in South Florida, but still, if you're a parent in South Florida, especially in a lot of these areas, you, you can't afford to fly to too many West Virginia games per year. Yeah, I mean, that, that's it, it's interesting to see how these, um, I don't want to say cliches, but how you how you sell parents. I mean, having talked to like Luther Campbell and, and Bud, you and I have talked about this a lot. Some kids want to get out of South Florida. Obviously, some kids you know, don't get the offers from the big three or, or even some of the regional ones, and they end up in a place like West Virginia, and it, it goes well, but... Uh, by and large, it's, I mean, n- not to take it down to such a, a you know, a, a, a kind of meaningless level relative to National Signing Day, but I, I am fascinated how you pull kids, uh, you know, to schools like Wyoming, to schools like Washington State. Uh, I mean, Washington State at least has a Pac-12 credential next to them, and if you go into a high school in L.A., that does matter, but you, know, you can tell a kid, hey, you will play at USC maybe what, twice in the, in, you know, in the four years you're there, but some of these schools that are in far-flung areas, I just, I, I find it, I find it fascinating. Let me let me bridge into this, but when there's this huge storm that tears across the east, you know, and 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 the south, <laughs> like it did last week, what does that do to visitation weekends? I mean, I live in Nashville. I had seven inches of snow in my backyard. Uh, yeah, it really hurts visitation weekends. We know Virginia Tech shut theirs down. Uh, we, Maryland kids were impacted. Some schools in the south were impacted because kids from up north couldn't actually fly down to the south. This is a good reason why you see a lot of these Big Ten schools try to bring in more kids on visits earlier in the year, uh, especially if they're from the South, because you don't really want to have that kid's first introduction to your campus uh, be be that kind of weather, assuming you can actually get on campus. And this is why Big Ten schools are really pushing to see uh, the official visit rules change to allow kids to take official visits over the summer. Because if I'm at Michigan, I'd much rather have a kid come to Ann Arbor in July than December. (laughs) <laughs> what's the probability on that uh it doesn't really seem like there's a whole lot of momentum for that because there's a couple conferences that uh 
kind of have the weather advantage, and I think they probably have the voting advantage as well with right. really only, only one conference dominating the, the North. That makes sense. That's reason number 468 why we need a college football commissioner. And then as soon as I say that, I remember who the commissioner would be. Bill Hancock. I completely, <laughs> I, I completely retract the idea. I hit the, the, anyway. Let me uh, – I'm going to take a guy's question and, and maybe spread it out a little larger just because I'm curious. Uh, uh, Jackson OG Martin at J- Jog Martin. Um, J O G Martin asks: Should we ex- uh, should we expect Easton to start uh, the opener for Georgia? And then he asks about uh, Andre Three Thousand or Big Boy. Wrong podcast. You might want to s- switch over to the other one. Um, <laughs> but you can answer the Easton question if you want. I'm just kind of curious about how Kirby Smart's doing. He's doing okay. Uh, they're not really getting a big time bump from Kirby uh, in this class. Now we are seeing a lot of 2017 kids really pay a lot of attention to Georgia. The, the big thing to watch with Kirby Smart down the stretch, and, and I'll, I'll answer the Eason question, yeah, I, I think he probably does start. Now, with Eason, this, this, the top of the quarterback rankings this year are, are interesting. Shea Patterson, the kid from Louisiana who was at IMG Academy down there in Bradenton near me, who's going to Old Miss, is I think the number one rated quarterback on a lot of people's lists right now, and he's the most polished by far. I mean, he understands timing. He throws the ball uh, on time, very quick release. Decently athletic, still a pocket guy. He's not going to kill defenses with his legs, but he's mobile enough to get out of some trouble. Eason is the kid with the crazy tools. I mean, the, the, the best arm in the class, able to deliver the football from a lot of different arm angles, can make some really crazy throws. His offensive line in high school is kind of terrible, so he's constantly running and under pressure and, uh, and, and yet still making plays. He's nowhere near as polished as, as uh, Patterson is. So I, I think if, if you're a, a guy that likes tools, you probably prefer Easton. If you want a guy who's more of a sure thing, a little bit, little bit lower ceiling, a little higher floor, you probably prefer Patterson. The the kid to watch with Kirby Smart down the stretch is Derek Brown. He's the number one rated defensive tackle in Georgia. Uh, Auburn has made a major move with him. This is a big time battle that he needs to win. They're they're definitely trying to kind of bamify Georgia, getting bigger on the defensive line, defensive and offensive lines, really making an impact there, winning with with line play. That's the kind of kid you need to win if you're going to have success at Georgia. And for the record, the question about, more importantly, is Andre 3000 or Big Boy a better QB recruit? Yeah, that's Andre the, 3000 is a, is a slot receiver. Big Boy is the quarterback. Okay, see, yeah, at least Bill's here to answer that question. Uh, but Auburn, that was the other thing that when, when I was talking about killing narratives, uh, Auburn's coaching staff, uh, a little volatile, you could say. <laughs> uh, Auburn's 2015, a little volatile. Um, and yet, they're hanging tight and recruiting. So, uh, should should things not be falling apart there? Uh, somebody the other day said a desperate Auburn is a great recruiting Auburn. <laughs> Ooh, I like that, and uh, and I agree with that. Auburn, I Bill, you can check me on this. I I think Auburn has not had a receiver under Gus Malzahn catch sixty passes in a year, and yet they just beat out Florida State and most likely Ole Miss and most likely Florida and Carolina uh, for a, the one of the best receivers in the state of Florida, Nate Craig Myers. Yeah, that blows my mind. I, I don't understand. I mean, I, I clearly very g- good recruiters on that staff and, and plenty of success for Auburn. But, yeah, moves like that I just never really completely get. They, I mean, they haven't had a guy cross 50, I don't think, on, on the ball. Side. Faith and family. I guess. Bless so, him. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Emory Blake caught 50 in 2012, the year before Malzahn came back. And that was um, the first – that was the last time they had a guy even hit 50 catches. I mean, that's – that's interesting, uh, for sure. But obviously, uh, he is, and not only that, they signed the number one receiver in the state of Georgia as well. 
So is it is it just what what does that living room pitch look like? I think it's well. First, Damian Craig is, is an excellent recruiter. He, he really connects with these guys, and then you know Auburn plays to win. These other big schools <laughs> play to win as well. I, I, I wrote about this today. Uh, I, I wrote a column today. Jim Harbaugh gets paid seven million to beat Ohio State in the SEC. Let's not be surprised when he uses their tactics. Let, let's not kid okay. ourselves here. You, you, Auburn plays to win. So does Bama. So does pretty much all the major schools that are actually in contention for the national title. Uh, but they also can sell playing time to these guys. It's not like Auburn has a whole lot of real established receivers. You can go in there, uh, and, and you may only catch 50 balls, but you might catch 50 balls as a freshman. So um, FTRS Lil Broey nice. from, from the Rumble Seed, our Georgia Tech site. Uh, we have a, by the way, uh, Joey, we do, we did get your email and next time we address reader questions, you'll get one. Um, how prominent are Bagman scenarios? Uh, just a few prospects per class or more like entire classes. I, you know, there's been plenty of Bagman conversation at SBN and I, and it really, this is directed at either one of you, I guess, but, um, you know, the, the word Bagman comes up a lot this time of year, so might as well answer it. But I'll let you go. I think it's more common than people think just in terms of guys getting, you know, $100 handshakes. I think the allegedly Cam Newton style scenarios where, where kids are getting past 200 grand uh, is n- probably not as common as people think. You know, for instance, if, if you take a kid to a, to a summer camp, you, the high school coach is probably getting a couple hundred and, and the kid's probably getting some walking around money too. If he's an elite prospect, I, I think that's, that's very common. It, it's, is that school out trying to outbid somebody else for a couple hundred thousand for, for, top 20 kids in, on their in their class no um so how would i answer this um <laughs> there's a lot of strange things that have happened since we did that piece but uh a lot of weird misconceptions because it's it's a you know there's not a lot of facts that you can lay out and and, and examples you can use it's nail and jello to the wall but a lot of people assume that money is the sole determinant for um top tier four and five star athletes it's not they do worry about everything that Bud's talked about. They do, they do look at coaches. They have families that are involved. You know, these aren't inherently evil people just kind of whoring themselves or their kids out for cash. Uh, they are still concerned about, um, you know, in some cases they're concerned about the quality of the degree too, I, I might add. But, I mean, playing time, what kind of situation you're getting into. I think this idea of just, you know, that you can flat out buy off a kid to come to some random school, uh, you know, that – that isn't quite how it works. Also, I would I would echo Bud's point. Um, not a not a ton of paying up front goes on anymore. The system always refines itself, and so Cam Newton is very much an exception in that way. So I would say it's more about what Bud said with the uh, walking around money. And I think the greatest assurance is if if you feel really good with your recruiter, if it's a school that you like, if it's a school that makes sense, are you going to get taken care of on the side? Yes. Is someone going to make sure that you know that in a roundabout way? Yes. And sometimes that's all it takes. You know, again, I would, I would go back to and reinforce that a lot of this isn't as sexy as it sounds. It's just, it's just kind of people taking care of people more often than not. It's just, everyone wants to think it's cam all the time. I mean, I, I don't know how deep some people's pockets are, but I don't think they'd be able to manage that 20 times a year. Yeah. Mississippi state fans are pretty, are pretty certain, uh, at least in my experience that Ole Miss does pay every single recruit at least $200,000. So I'm not going to get, uh, you know, I, I believe them. I, it's on the internet. So you have to, believe so can, in the, can we talk in about the Ole Miss state in the United States, by the way, 
All right. I, I just I have an old Miss thought here, and I'm noticing this just on the FSU side I run and, and in the comment section of pretty much every SB Nation article that mentions it. Why do people assume that Ole Miss is paying like way above and beyond what other schools pay? Is it because they haven't had the on-field success or the history of the tradition, that, that type of stuff? Yes. yes. Yeah, they, it, they, it, they've it is stepped out are, of their we weight are class. just so freshly removed from Ole Miss and a really lazy, bad Houston nut taking over for a hapless at Ogeron and you know, a bad athletic department, low revenue, bad tickets. All, it's all of that. It, it, is, it is in many ways similar to Baylor. And right. I don't think anyone right now in Texas high schools are, is, is saying, oh, well, Baylor's just paying these kids. You know, I, in I think, year one or two, I, I get that with the with the Kandichi and the and the uh, the Treadwell class, that makes more sense to me. But you start to look now, and and when kids see Laquan Treadwell there and they see Laramie Tunsil, it's, it starts to make more sense that they would just want to go there. Yeah, like do I think Ole Miss is cheating? Hell yes, but not that much more than everybody <laughs> else is. I, I, I think that they they have a, a staff of young, energetic recruiters. They are playing to win. They've made they've made the decision to uh, compete at the highest level, so to speak. I do have a funny story about that. We talked earlier about paying kids, but it's also about getting kids' parents jobs, especially at booster right. companies or companies where they can kind of hook it up. There was a coach at a school who was recruiting a really elite defensive lineman and, uh, and the mom needed a job and the coach was new to the school, but he, he had done a pretty good job recruiting this kid. And he promised this lady that, that he would get her a, a job, which is, is pretty common just from what I understand. Uh, but and, and he was going to get her a job at an insurance company. The problem is, in this state that he was recruiting in, you cannot get this insurance job that, that he had her lined up for if you have a, uh, a felony for fraud within the last decade, which she did not divulge to him. So when it came time to get her the job, uh, she, he, you know, she applied, thinking it'd be pushed through easily. She was denied and then called him flipping out, and that caused her uh, to lose trust in him, and they actually lost this recruit who went elsewhere. By the way, I mentioned Mississippi State earlier. Um, if you are Dan Mullen in the fall of 2009 and you are allegedly approached with the idea of, you know, give us $200,000 uh, and Cam is yours, allegedly. If you're Dan Mullen, what do you say? Yes. Yes. Every time. How much do you think Cam Newton was worth to Auburn? I know. Yeah, Still. Yo, yeah, they, they, still, they still tell that. kids be our Cam Newton. Yeah, no, I, still, I mean, no, it's I don't hesitate. I do a better is, job of than what they did. I make sure that you know the the logistics are wrapped up on the back end. The pro, I mean, the problem was he was he, it was an open market bid, and that's what's gone away. Yeah, because I mean, I'm looking at, like that was Dan Mullen's end of Dan Mullen's first year. They went five and seven in 2010. They went nine and four with Chris Ralph at quarterback. Like, let's see, how many close games did they lose in 2010? They lost by three. Well, they lost by three to Auburn. Um, they lost by seven to Arkansas. Uh, they did get drubbed pretty good by LSU or, or and Alabama, but they go at least 11-2 and two with Cam Newton uh, running their offense in 2010. Bud, uh, question, and I don't really have an answer for this, only because of the, the bad season they had, the uncertainty that it's building around Baton Rouge, and then also the fact that you lose your best recruiter in Frank Wilson. Michael Underwood. Uncle, uh, Michael Underwood <laughs> at here's all right. Check this. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this at Himikane H I M I Kane. I'm gonna stop reading Twitter. You guys either got to get better Twitter names or stop reading them. How unprecedented is the class LSU is putting together? Will we ever see a school repeat the same thing? 
uh, I, I'll probably answer that second one first and say yes. But what what's going on at LSU and why, why are things so so great right now? Look, LSU might actually not even end up with the number one class this year. Uh, I mean, they have a good shot to get it, but it, it's it's certainly not a lock uh, yet. So the, the the premise of this question is a little bit loaded with hyperbole, but uh, they are doing a great job. They they are the school that has, I think, by far the best shot to end Alabama's streak of six consecutive number one classes. And I think the biggest thing they're doing is that they are the only Power 5 school in an extremely talented state. I mean, Louisiana has, what, 22 blue chips this year? And LSU is going to sign well over half of those, including perhaps every single one of the top 10. That's So it's just fishing from a stock pond. Yeah, exactly. I, I wrote some rules out the other day. I had to predict where the top 10 uncommitted recruits are going to go. And it was like, all right, uh, is this prospect located in Louisiana south of Highway 84? Because uh, up up in, in Monroe and Treeport, things are a little more dicey at times. Check. Has LSU been on this kid for a while? Check. Uh, make sure that, that the number one contender other than LSU for this kid is not Alabama. Uh, check. And then four is predict the prospect to LSU. Yeah. It really, it, it works. They, they very rarely miss on kids that they, that they want and that they've been on, in on for a long time, uh, kind of south of that Highway 84 area. So if you're worried about bag men or how to make your school relevant, the trick is to go back into in time, have one of the most crooked politicians in the history of, I mean, since the Greeks invented politics, uh, to rig the entire higher learning system of an entire state to focus solely on one university having competitive athletics. That's the answer. I mean, all jo- I mean, all joking aside, though, Bud's Bud's exactly right. It's a, it's a it's as good as as any other state, except they only ha- there is only one king. That's it. ULL yeah. ain't ever gonna fuck ever pull anybody away. ULM ever, is what? never huh? gonna pull anybody away. Yeah, I mean Missouri. That's always been you know the claim from Missouri fans is you know we're the only show in the state. But um, number one, Missouri is not stocked like Louisiana is stocked, and number two, the biggest metro areas are on borders. Like Nebraska claims Kansas City. Kansas and Kansas State can, uh, claim Kansas City. Illi- well, when Illinois has a position to claim anything, they try to claim St. Louis. So, uh, you know, the fact that not only is Louisiana stocked, but the biggest metro area is kind of is, is around water and therefore not, uh, you know, right on the border of other states, too. That can only help. Yeah. I mean, and not only that, they, they do have a staff of, of great recruiters. I mean, Ed Orgeron is legitimately an awesome recruiter. Corey Raymond is a really, really good recruiter. Uh, Frank Wilson, who, who just took the UTSA job as a head coach, is an awesome recruiter. They they have a, a loaded staff of recruiters. But I just, I'm curious. I want to jump out west real fast. Um, similar to what Texas is dealing with right now, USC, um, well, maybe not entirely similar to Texas. And I like Clay Hilton. I think he's going to do a great job. But they have, for years now, faltered in being the brand and the name. Um who do you think has benefited the most under that? I think probably the answer is UCLA, but I'm curious. You know, there's a very, very quietly assembled, pretty decent roster at Washington right now. Some of that had to do with Sark. Um, we talk about the Pac-12 in, in different, and we always treat it like an alien in, in every other kind of uh, area of college football. What does it look like in recruiting? Is it still Los Angeles and everyone else? USC still has the right of first refusal on a lot of the top kids uh, west of the Rockies. Now, that is changing a little bit because Jim Har or not Jim Harbaugh, excuse me, Jim Mora is, is basically refusing to accept this idea that, UC, that USC is going to just get whoever, he wa- whoever it wants and he'll, he'll get the leftovers. He's challenging them some. Stanford, uh, for the kids that have the really good academics, 
legitimately competes with, with, with USC, but the pool from which Stanford can recruit is not really the same pool from which USC can recruit. And Stanford oftentimes has to wait on, on who it offers uh, because it, it their, their administration does not want them throwing out offers to kids who have no chance to qualify or who are really kind of uncertain to qualify. Stanford typically will wait uh, to see if you're going to have the, the right academics that fits their system, which, by the way, I think is the number one reason why uh, one of the most vocal critics of an early signing day proposal has been David Shaw, because that, yeah. that would really hurt them. But to your point about Washington is, is, is a great one. Washington is kind of building a little bit of a Michigan State-style roster where they're not really landing all these five stars, but they're landing a bunch of kids who are like, that's a good player. That's a good player. Like It's not like a top 10 class nationally, but they're doing a really good job, and they're doing it consistently. And, and I think that we know that Chris Peterson develops prospects pretty well, and it has a very good track record of identifying guys that fit his system. We saw it at Boise State. Yeah, and Washington is one of those states that has just enough that if you combine it with you know good talent identification at the like the two three star level and good development, you're gonna have a rock solid program there. Um, and so you know, getting keeping like the Buddha Bakers of the world, he was from Washington, I think, right? Um, pretty yep. sure. But um, you know, if, if he's keeping those big four star kids and then just getting a smattering of kids from elsewhere. Uh, it becomes one of those situations where when Washington's good, you wonder why the hell they weren't good to begin with uh, or why they, you know, why they went like a decade here without a very impressive play. But yeah, I mean, they've got, you know, a couple four-star quarterbacks now and, and, you know, a bunch of like the Buda Baker types. And then you combine it with Miles Gaskin, who was like mid to high three-star, but was awesome. Um, they've got a really nice situation lined up there. If you're not really from do. the Northwest, I, I mean, I feel like the statute of limitations is running out on remembering what Washington can be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm 30, and I really don't think, like, I can name you too many guys who played on those awesome Washington teams. Well, and the last awesome Washington team, A, played in 2001 when uh, Miami was becoming Miami. Or no, 2000, sorry, 2000. Uh, and then the next year, you know, an awesome Miami team is going to probably trump an awesome Washington team. Uh, but then that that team ended up being so sleazy too that I think that that uh, kind of damaged the reputation a little bit. We we forget how dominant that 2000 Washington team was, and of course that was now 15 years ago. So is that the <laughs> team with Jeremy questions. Stevens and all the guys? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Two more questions. One's mine, but I want to go with this one that just came across. Um, <laughs> Gritty X Walk On at CJAAS <laughs> asks, "What the hell's going on in College Station?" Uh, we all have theories on that. We all have information about that. Bud, which, uh, <laughs> since it's a recruiting show, Bud, we'll, put, we'll frame that around recruiting. What the hell is going on in College Station? Uh, I feel like Texas A&M has kind of gotten away from from what it what it did well when it was coming up. Uh, and, and that is they they, they kind of seem to be caught up in, in a lot of this state high school politics and uh, the, the pressure to play Kyler Murray, who I don't think was anywhere near as good as, as Kyle Allen was. I mean, Kyle Allen – had bad numbers in part because he had to face Alabama's defense, you know, and, and Murray got to play uh, a lot, I, I think, lesser defenses kind of later in the year than what Allen got to see sort of in, in, in the middle stretch there. It, it, it feels like they're they're almost – we talked earlier about, about Auburn getting away from its system and recruiting guys just because they're, they're highly rated. I think there is an element that staffs can kind of fall into that trap that, that maybe they're taking guys that don't necessarily fit their system uh, – because they, they want to, to get the accolades of beating Texas in recruiting, being the top recruiting team in that state, which they've been for the past couple of years. 
They also lost, uh, what's his name, who was picking their offensive lineman and doing a hell of a job of it. Uh, former Packers coach. He, he's now uh, oh, Mike, Mike uh, Sherman. Yes, Mike Sherman. I yeah. mean, Texas a used to have great line play when they came in the SEC, and, and we hear how much the SEC is a line of scrimmage league. A&M's line play has gone down. They, they're, I mean, they're, you, uh, look at their draft history on, on those guys that he brought in. I mean, it's... Three first-rounders, I believe. How much would you pay that guy to, to be a offensive line recruiting consultant? Like, he basically just comes and, <laughs> and, and evaluates offensive line recruits at your camp. Because that, that is truly an exercise of evaluation and something that it, it's – you can see big and strong. It's it's a little bit tougher to, to pick out the guys who can truly bend well and who profile to bend well as they add more weight. Or, hey, this guy is 350, and he will get faster, considerably faster, when he drops down to 310. This guy's 350, but he won't actually unlock that much additional speed and agility when he drops weight. The, the guys who are really good at picking offensive line recruits, they're able to put them through drills and they're able to take that feedback they get from those drills and apply it to their offensive line recruiting. Texas A&M has not picked offensive linemen as well since Mike Sherman left, and I think it shows on the field. That's, a, that's physical, like talking about the human body at 17 years old is, is <laughs> offensive line. It's got to be hard to project. Oh, it's very hard. I, I think quarterback is, is the toughest. Um, and then uh, corner can be difficult because you, if you have an elite corner in high school, what do you do as an opposing high school team? You just don't throw the ball at him. And, and so it's pretty much all based on, on like camp evaluations, one-on-ones, seeing how a guy flips his hips, seeing, seeing how he accelerates. Does it get burned on the deep ball? That could show kind of a, a lack of, of top end speed. I also feel like A&M has kind of struggled to put together an elite defense and elite offense at the same time, and that's just sort of a sequencing and timing issue. So this, believe it or not, seeks a little bit into uh, my Excel talk real quick. This is a magic act you're going to be Do you guys have, have like so, intro music for this? Because we should. <laughs> Man, we need, like, we need like eight different theme songs. To oh, I know. Yeah, we're, st- uh, we're still working on that. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so um, I am going to formulate a piece later this week kind of about this but uh but i've told you a little bit about what i was doing i think i shared some of the results basically i got curious a couple weeks ago and instead you know i use recruiting rankings as a as a piece of my projections each year but i decided i got curious and decided to run correlations basically your recruiting class versus you know the likelihood that you have a good run defense run offense pass defense etc standardized passing downs efficiency explosiveness blah 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 so what I have come up with so far, the, the biggest thing is that the recruiting rankings are very are, are a lot stronger, more strongly correlated to success on defense than offense. Um, and they're a lot more they're well correlated to pass success instead of run success. And so part of my thought there, and I am going to I need to you know, go a little further in this before and then show Bud the piece before I actually publish the piece. But, you know, my theory is that part of that is that offensive linemen really are hard as hell to evaluate, even early on, uh, and by recruiting services and whatnot, too. Um, it seems like you have the most diamond in the rough types emerging at that position than maybe or in that unit than any other. Maybe the same for defensive linemen to an extent, but I'm not as sure about that. But that seems to be one of the things that I am uh, coming to a conclusion with by looking at data this way. I can see it. Well, it's interesting that, that it's higher correlated to passing uh, than running because I, I think quarterback is, is maybe the, the hardest position to evaluate 
but offensive line is, is is probably a close second. I mean, I, I can tell you who the, the stud offensive linemen are. But after you get past, like, the first probably 10 or 20 guys nationally, everybody pretty much has a question of, can I put 40 pounds on this kid and have him maintain his, his athleticism? Can I cut 30 off this kid and unlock a lot of additional athleticism? How much? Yeah, how much and I think a lot – Yeah. It, it seems like a lot of guys too. I mean, they'll basically they'll sign with a, a mid-level school at two sixty-five, and then they'll be an all-conference player at three hundred five. So yeah, I mean, a lot of that is put on, put on right. what seventy pounds since he was a senior right. high school. That's <laughs> that, that's a third grader. I mean, and I will say too that the the correlations like for for passing, they're a lot stronger on defense than offense. So I think what the my main another takeaway I get from this is maybe offensive line is the hardest. I think. If you if you have a certain number of resources to spend in recruiting, uh, and you're deciding whether to go after a blue chip defensive back or blue chip, I, I don't know, running back or something, go after the defensive back. It seems like maybe there's the biggest correlation, um, you know, when, when it comes to those elite defensive backs. I also feel like high schools fill offense first. For instance, I'll, I'll go to the the, the yeah. Nike camp in Chicago, right? And if you didn't know any better, you come out of there thinking that all of the receivers at the Chicago Nike camp are just like the, the next Randy Moss. Because in that region, there's not a lot of good defensive backs. And the kids who uh, are athletic enough to be good defensive backs, for the most part, play offense. Now, in other regions where, where there's more athleticism to go around, that kid in his sophomore year of high school may say, you know what, I'm going to play DB because I can get on the field earlier as opposed to having to wait till I'm a senior to play receiver. So I, I feel like like there's a sort of uh, it's it's more spread out in the more talented regions, whereas in some regions, or region it's a lot more concentrated on offense. And so the guys who are able to stand out and, and truly be elite on defense there really do pop, and it makes it easier to evaluate them in in those spots. That wasn't that bad, was it, Godfrey? No, I, I dived into Excel sheets and and it was fun. That, that I I think we've exhausted the the oh uh only question I had left in the list um we we've talked about it briefly Miami uh but how much of that is uh legit do you think that uh this is the the second life for Mark Rick do you feel like um Bud and I talked a lot um both on the site and privately this year about what Miami could be because Al Golden was such a lame duck for so long people were forecasting that job months out Bud, what do you? I mean, what's your take on Miami in general right now? I, it seems like they made the right move. I, I think it was it was a good hire. Now that assumes that you're going to get Mark Richt uh, re-energized. That that you like the coaching staff he's putting together. I think he did a good job not retaining Art Kehoe, who I, I felt was did not do a very good job coaching their offensive line the, the second time he, he was around at Miami. It, it's a very interesting spot. You know, you you have to kind of you want to bring kids in for official visits. During, you know, after the football season, because you don't want to show them that, hey, you have a, a at best half-empty stadium that that is forty-five <laughs> minutes from campus. You know, you don't want to really show that off. You want to show South Beach. You, you want to show the great weather, especially to the kids up north. I bring all my New Jersey kids in to visit Miami right now. That that'd be perfect. I mean, I'm I'm down yeah. here in South Florida. It's uh, uh, it's sixty-eight today. That's that's pretty solid. <laughs> um, Shut up, bud. I, <laughs> all right, so. I feel like it was a good hire as long as he's kind of re-energized it. I also feel like he did kind of underachieve at Georgia relative to the level of talent they were able to get. Uh, and if you do that at Miami, Miami's not going to get the same level of talent Georgia gets most likely. If you underachieve with that level of talent, you're not going to get to where Miami fans want you to go. And you also have to – the high school coaches down there, 
are a very interesting, extremely vocal group. Uh, and God freaking know this because he, he talked to Luke and I'm sure some other guys down there. Uh, you have to be able to, to take the feedback but not let them drive your recruiting because they all think that their kids are good enough to play at the U and they all want them to be offered as sophomores. And you have to, you have to yeah. sit them down and say, look, we are not going to offer these kids until we feel like, like they're ready. We're going to recruit them just like any other school would. We, we have the advantage of being down here so we can see them a little bit earlier perhaps than some other kids, although that is a point that I think has really hurt Miami. Digital film has hurt these schools in, in these pockets that are that are tougher to get to. You know, Miami's a long drive if you coach at Georgia. It's all, it's, you you got to fly down there. You know, it used to be Miami could see these kids coming up uh, through Optimus Ball. They would know who they were as as as, uh, as freshmen and sophomores in high school. Now digital film, I can click on that kid's huddle just as quickly as Miami can. So they're not able to establish those early relationships with local kids quite as well as they could before the YouTube era. And I, th- I think that has certainly hurt them. But they still can do it somewhat. And they have, they have to make, make, make sure to do that, but not not cave to the pressure of local high schools to, to offer the kids that they want offered. Miami has to really stick with its own plan and, and build the roster how Mark Rick wants it to be built. And I think that was something Golden really struggled with. It was dealing with the high school coaches down there because they came down and I feel like they kind of turned those high school coaches off. They're saying, hey, we know what we're looking for. Y'all can just, you know, um, do whatever. And then that wasn't working. So then I feel like they started being pressured into offering certain kids that the high school coaches wanted later on after the heat got on them. So you got to balance it a lot better than that. Yeah, I think basically if you give Mark Richt a good quarterback and a decent offensive line, he's going to win a lot of games. Yeah. Um, and we'll see. I mean, he, he inherits a pretty good quarterback, obviously. Not real sure about that offensive line. They're also, they, they also got people to up some donations. So I, I've got a, a fairly decent source at Miami who who's, you know, lives down in the Gables and is tied in. And, and they're paying Mark Rick a lot more than they were paying Al Golden. They're, they're, the staffers that they're hiring now are not just ex-high school coaches. And that matters. I mean, no offense to high school coaches, but I want a good mix. I want some guys who have been in the college game, not just a bunch of, of guys who just came up from high school. No, that makes that makes total sense. I mean, if you're going to give somebody money, I feel like he's, you know, it's it's all relative. And the struggles that Miami had pale to the to the inability for Rick to get over that top hump in the SEC. So I'm sure they are excited. Um, Bill, you got anything else for Bud? Or are we going to let him go? I, uh, well, we're, I, we don't let anybody go before an hour's up. Um, so I, I got two questions. An hour? Uh, I think so. Oh, I think wow. it's like what 57 minutes, something in that neighborhood. 59, 43. Wow. Make okay. it quick. Time flew, so, but I guess it didn't. <laughs> so, so I've got time for another couple here. Okay. Um, first of all, in terms of we've heard a lot about our early signing day and everything, but I always come back to what seems to be the simplest and cleanest ideas. And in a lot of cases, that's that's whatever Andy Staples uh, proposes. But recruiting, his you know things that the thing that he's harped on a few times now is is the idea that basically. An offer can be accepted at any moment, and when you sign it, it's it's signed, and you're you're signed. Um, just get rid of signing day altogether, and and set it up like that. Um, obviously, you know, like everything else, it's it's a it's a weird enough idea that it will never ever ever happen. But you know, what do you? Is there a what's your best idea for like making recruiting as healthy as possible? Is, is that the cleanest thing or do you, what is your best idea when it comes to that kind of thing? So that, that would be kind of messy because I feel like you would have kids who would sign at the first big offer they got. And, and I, right. I don't think that, that, that is, is good for the kid. And I, I, I wrote today, 
you know, yeah, kids, kids act like kids. Schools are run by adults. So I expect the schools to act like adults. That, that, that's an easy situation to see where, where kids would make kid mistakes. But I, I do think let, let's, let's have an early signing day uh, either at the start of the player's senior years where a school can sign, uh, I guess, however many kids at once. And I, I, I think that's, that's cool. That's, that's a good uh, kind of market regulation there. They can do whatever the hell they want. But if you sign a kid, then that's one less spot you can sign uh, for maybe a sleeper who develops as a senior. Right. This would also really allow kids to get a good feeling for what schools actually want them. It would stop this kind of carpet bombing of, of regions and sending out three and four and 500 offers when you know that you can only sign 25 kids. How many of those offers are actually legitimate? You know, you, you want to find out as a recruit if your offer is legitimate, call that school and commit. See what they say. Now, some of them may just yeah. lie to you and take it and drop you later. But most of them, I think, would say, well, hold on. We're not... That's an offer to come to camp. We, we want to see how you work with, with yeah. our staff, how you fit our system, all, all this other stuff. Uh, that would offer kids a lot of certainty and really give them a clearer picture of where they stand with the schools that are talking to them. It would also help college coaches because college coaches wouldn't have to keep recruiting these kids that are already committed to them, right? Uh, which right. Uh, is, is a pretty common complaint that they do have. Uh, well, what if you kind of merge those ideas and basically you have a – you know, signing period that starts in whatever, mid-August of their senior year or September 1st or whatever you want to decide there, and then just doesn't end. Well, that would be interesting, but but I feel like just personally, I would not want to cover that uh, because I, I, I do still <laughs> run a team site. You know, it, it, right. it would, uh, that would be... Yeah, I guess you need to do it in like early August so that the biggest crush would die down before the season starts. I also think having a bit of a kind of a reset period where... It, allowing the kids who did not sign to evaluate who has already signed can help them formulate their travel plans, their visit plans, who they want to talk to, who they still want to see as they make their visits throughout their senior year. So I, I don't know that, that a, a rolling signing period would work. Maybe we just, maybe we make August early signing month, right? Uh, and yeah. then we, okay, if you didn't sign in August, maybe you can play your senior year, ball out, get better offers than the ones that you had in August, or, or maybe you can establish relationships with new coaches. And then you can sign on, on National Signing Day or, 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 or do whatever you want to do there. Uh, there are some administrative issues with this. How do you treat coaches leaving? You know, at, at what level coach leaving? Like if, oh, a head wow, co- yeah. if a head coach leaves, I think it's totally fair to say all the commits can be, can be released from their early right. signing. Right, yeah, it's null and, vo- it's null and void if, if this guy isn't there. Now, how about a coordinator? Yeah. yeah. I think I would also yeah, I, say I think yes that'd be very fair. Or just the, the head recruiter or whatever. Right. I mean, it would get really awkward if, like, if, you know, Trooper Taylor is, is on everybody's Arkansas State signing list or whatever. But, because um, he's at, yeah, he's at Arkansas State. Yep. But, yeah, yeah I mean, it would be, I think that's a, a an interesting, it would be a good safeguard, I think. I don't know how you would draw the line saying, you know, coordinators but not position coaches or whatever, but... Yeah, I mean that's that's the biggest concern you would Can have. Can you just say the guy parent. who recruited you? Just it, you have to identify it, almost like a registration. I, I, think, I think that's a good thing. That you you say, okay, head coach, coordinator for your side of the ball, and you know line item three, uh, you know the the, the pro- recruited by this guy, so that you you can't like as defensive back say, oh well, the quarterback coach left. I'm I'm really upset about this, and I'm going to get out of my my Memphis my Memphis yeah. offer to go take my LSU offer that <laughs> just came on that. Yeah, I think that's what schools want to avoid. So that, that's a great idea. Go, go, head coach, your coordinator, and then the the, the coach who actually recruited you. This could, this could give some position coaches a lot of leverage. 
Oh, oh it yeah. certainly could. Now, the question is, do you go with, with potentially two line item coaches, the, the coach who recruited you and then also your position coach? Because oftentimes schools, I know most schools don't recruit by position. They recruit by area. Right. Uh, right. And, and so m- maybe we say, okay, it's not the guy that recruited me. It's my actual position coach. Because once you sign, your recruitment is effectively over. So I would say not the guy that recruited you, but actually your specific position coach. And you have to identify that. Okay. So fixed. Um, last thing is something that I know, Bud, that you wanted to bring up. So I thought I'd give you the opportunity to, um, the idea that, you know, we, we, we start, we think of things in terms of like the number six quarterback in the class or the number eight uh, receiver in the class or whatever. Um, but the quality of a given position in a given class varies dramatically where some years you have four or five surefire quarterbacks. And then some years your best, the best quarterback in the class is like Nick Montana or something. And so, um, well, first of all, what, what are your thoughts on 2016? Where is it heavy in life? Well, okay, 2016 is awesome at defensive tackle. Uh, Clemson signed a stud. LSU is, actually has a situation where they may not be able to fit five blue-chip defensive tackles into their class. Uh, <laughs> Auburn's got one. Ohio State's still trying to get one. Bama's got a couple, uh, one of which who may go to JUCO. Florida State's got a couple. So the defensive tackle is great. Defensive end, uh, really not so great. There, there's a lot of guys who have potential, but there's not a whole lot of surefire step in day one, dominate type you know, types. And, and that's that's okay. It does vary year to year. And I think that makes it interesting. But people kind of assume that the number one defensive end one year is the same thing as the number one defensive end in another year. And just like the NFL draft, uh, you know, you, you feel pretty good, I think, right now, if you got Jameis or Mariota, if you signed, uh, if you had the number one pick and took a quarterback a couple years ago, a lot of those guys have flamed out. Uh, it, it, it does vary year to year. And I think it's important to note that, hey, I, you got to kind of look at their actual talent. You can't just say, oh, he's the number four quarterback or he's the number four of this. This year what we're seeing, this is a loaded pro-style quarterback year. It's very light on guys who are like surefire home runs as, as far as uh, mobile quarterbacks. You know, I, I like Jared Garantano, who's going to Tennessee, but he's very raw. I mean, it, it, he's out there in seven-on-seven no pass rush and looks terrible, but he's got great wheels and a great arm. So it'll be a nice developmental prospect for Tennessee. Now, Brandon McIlwain plays baseball, so he's not able to go into South Carolina. So he's not able to focus full-time on football. Bama signed Jalen Hurts with a dual threat guy. Interesting, by the way, Bama keeps going after these dual threat kids. Uh, Maybe a a, kind of a, a change in philosophy there in Tuscaloosa. On the other hand, I mean, Shea Patterson, love him. Jacob Beeson, huge tools. Costello, the kid going to Stanford, big-time tools. Malik Henry going to Florida State, really good. Felipe Franks going to Florida, awesome tools. I mean, pretty raw, but really, really uh, talented. Brandon Peters going to Harbaugh, Michigan. Haskins going to Ohio State, which is interesting. Hart, or, uh, Urban Meyer going back to the uh, pro-style quarterback well, which we haven't seen in kind of a while. The, the list of, of the pro-style quarterbacks this year, I feel a lot more confident in than the list of the dual-thread guys. Well, is there is there a way to to, to to tear this out then, Bud? Like, have a I mean, or, or do well, I mean? I, I guess you have the star ranking. You just right. ignore the X amount per you know sixteenth best this year, or is there somehow? I'm trying to figure out if there's if there's just a do you throw that ranking system out completely, or do you try and insert one extra metric to make it make more sense? So ESPN does this really well in theory, right? Like they, this year, I think only had nine five stars. And they say they do that because they, they grade kids numerically 
and then they match that grade up to a star system. So they don't they don't use quotas. Now it's pretty clear that the other networks do, in some form or fashion, use quotas. Maybe not hard quotas, but but they're the, the amount of five stars and four stars they have doesn't really vary that much year to year. ESPN is kind of the outlier here. Now I don't agree with ESPN's rankings, but I do think the system that they do or that they use is, is pretty solid as far as assigning a numerical value first and then ranking that kid. Now the other the other services do use a numerical value. I know 247 does. I think Rivals does as well with like their 5.8 right. or 5.9. The problem is those numerical values seem to match up with with, with what looks to be quota-based systems uh, pretty consistently year to year. Well, okay, let me jump in there and ask a naive <clears throat> question. Why a quota system? I think it's because you, you want to be able to uh, drive hype and sell subscriptions. You, you want to make sure you have a certain number of five stars left each year. Uh, now, 247 will say publicly that they rank about 30-ish five stars every year because there are 30 or so first-round <laughs> draft picks each year. I don't know if that yeah. actually makes a whole lot of sense, but uh, that that's the that's, that's the response. The, the, you bringing up the draft earlier, though, made a lot of sense because every year we see that, like, you know, the, one of the one or two or three top uh, teams in the draft, they need a quarterback, so they're going to select X. Um, and some years that means you get an Andrew Luck versus Robert Griffin debate, and they both seem to like slam dunks to most people at the time. And then other years you're like, well, they need a quarterback. So I guess for their for the number whatever it was, two overall draft pick, uh, I guess they're going to go with Blake Bortles. You know, it's like the backwards thing in there when everybody acknowledges how hard it is to evaluate a quarterback. Blake Bortles was not a uh, isn't a great example because he might actually be pretty decent, but. Um, yeah. Oh, I got ripped on that, by the way, this year for, for, for saying Blake Bortles is a bust. And apparently yeah, he's, 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 at, all. At, least, yeah, he's at least turning into a solid quarterback. But like, you know, the, the Cam Newton versus Gabbard versus uh, Ponder thing a couple of years ago, maybe. But they were always, well, Geno Smith. For a long time, people thought Geno Smith was going to be the number one pick because he's a quarterback. But then that got adjusted a little bit. Um, but it is, we all agree how hard it is to evaluate quarterbacks. And then we overdraft quarterbacks sometimes. It's just kind of people just freak out because they have to have that franchise guy and you know they seem to be willing to miss but and there's there's a luck factor here in recruiting as well if let's say that you are in a state that that you know just your state and primarily i think people this is annoying to fans in states that do not have good recruiting geography but but it's true nonetheless geography matters in recruiting so much more than we want to admit most kids are just not willing to go across country so you're pretty much limited to your state and your region for recruiting, unless you're kind of a, a very unique situation and you're a true national recruiter, and there's only a handful of those schools. If, if you're in a year where you need linebackers, and I'll, I'll address this on Tom Nation sometimes, I'll say, okay, Florida State needs X position and a lot of them this year. Are they in a position to get them? Sometimes, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is a great year for linebackers in the state. They need to take four of them. This is going to work out pretty well for them. Sometimes it's, ooh, God, no, they're, they're – the, the, the pickings here are pretty slim, and they need to take three of these kids. And I don't even think there's one kid in the state who is is FSU quality, that type of thing. It, there's a lot, large amount of luck involved in that. Um, okay, yeah. Bill. <laughs> All right. Uh, we do thank our guest. Um, we're going to have to fake inviting him on the show now since he's actually been on the show. <laughs> yeah, we really should have waited about another eight months to do this. Just killed the, killed the running joke before he even really got off the ground. Yeah, it's kind of depressing. It's kind of depressing. Well, we'll fake, but uh, we'll, let's just tell everyone we'll have Bud back next week, and we won't. How about that? And next week, by the way, mailbag special. Yeah. So if you're still Ooh. hanging on right now, um, you you are the type that would uh, would love to send a two paragraph long question about some intricate 
detail, alternate reality, um, objection to metrics, you name it. Uh, no school's too small, no questions too weird. We're going to try and do a whole show on that next week, so please fill up the inbox. So uh, thanks, guys. And yeah, I right, we'll now I've got, right now I've hey, got questions a- in the queue for San Jose State and Purdue. But listen, anyway. When is the Western Michigan <laughs> show? East, I, I, east, I, need to, east. I need to make sure. Yeah, oh, West, Eastern Michigan. East, Western yeah. Michigan's actually been – I cover recruiting, so well, I don't Western cover Michigan's actually too, been so. successful a little bit. Um, <laughs> now that'll be, I think, April. I don't remember for sure when um, the Mac pops up. Yeah, we're we, still cooking. We've got ideas. Yeah, we're still cooking. Are you guys going to do an anonymous scout episode? Yeah, Ooh. we could. It is anonymous scout season. Uh, word here at the Senior Bowl: MSU teammates have been less than effusive in their praise uh, uh, that from, uh, at Tony Pauline. Yeah. Welcome. So, to do we need to bring him one on, or just have him like like disguise the voice a little bit? I guess. Do do the ransom yeah, note. We could do, voice. We could do yeah. anybody. Then we could bring. We could have it absolutely anybody on as an uh, anonymous scout. Then. I'm going to type you a name. <laughs> on. Uh. Yes. Okay. All right. We've got <laughs> yeah. that name. I don't even like that guy. All right. Well, we'll we'll let you guys go. <laughs> 